Um, hello and welcome, everybody. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm the co-founder of InventRight. I co-founded InventRight with Stephen Key 20 plus years ago, and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors ever since, uh, and we're very good at it. Uh, I mean, geez, I would hope we would be. If you do something for 20 years and you're not good at it, you better stop, right? Um, so anyway, we're going to do a full hour of Q&A. If you guys got enough questions, which I know you do, uh, this is going to be our third live stream, and you guys always have enough questions. You always have great questions, by the way. So let's get started with with Tommy's. Uh, so sorry about the false start there. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to edit the uh, the replay and chop the beginning though, so people don't think it's not working. Uh, Tommy says, if I find one licensee, but they only get me into Walmart, but I know I want to get into Home Depot, uh, Canadian Tire, etc. Can I venture off to get more licensees? The more, the better, no? So, uh, yeah, Tommy, you're just really greedy, man. I mean, come on. Walmart's not good enough for you. Just kidding. I'm just messing with you. I told that joke before, but you guys didn't hear it. Now you heard it, and it's equally bad as I, as before. Um, anyway, um, so you always want to reach out to every single company that is in major retailers you want to be in. So if this one company is just in Walmart, but another one's in Walmart and Canadian Tire and Home Depot, great, reach out to them too. People overanalyze this. You need to reach out to them all. When our students come to us, typically they have a really anemic list of like three or four companies, and we help them expand that out for a lot of products. It varies by product, but 20, 30 companies. And, you know, you might have some projects that only have eight or only have 12, but if you can have 25 or 30, it's 25 or 30 chances for success. So, and don't do them one at a time. So, Tommy, your, your question's kind of a, a not relevant in some ways using the InventRight approach in that, okay, this one company's only in Walmart. Now, they might be elsewhere, too. And what you can do is you can Google the name of some of their products, and you'll find that it shows up on a lot of other websites or other Let's say it's a sporting good product, and they're also in um, in Target, and they're in another big five and Dick's Sporting Goods. So Google around to see where else they are, but don't go over analyzing a potential licensee. If they're in major retailers, you want to be. They don't have to be just the biggest, just the absolute best. You know, if you find and get interest from a company that has really good distribution, but not the best. You know, keep reaching out to those other companies. You'll have plenty of time to do that. The average negotiation when we help our students is three months. So if you're working with this one company and, you know, you start to move the deal forward, if there's a long timeline out there, you can still keep reaching out to the other companies. And I know that's not a mindset for those of you that aren't actively working on licensing your products, but that you're in, but that's the mindset you need to be in. So... Um, absolutely, Tommy, keep reaching out to other companies. Uh, let's see what else we got here. This page down. Um, Diane Gosha, some of the companies ask for basic specs. What if you don't have that to give to them? And what if your quotes are too high? So she's saying if she's getting quotes from contract manufacturers and the cost is too high. Well, keep this in mind. You know, you as an independent inventor, you call an in a former life eons ago. I'm I'm 50 now, and but when I was, geez, I don't know, 21 or so, 22, I sold computerized machining centers. These were machine shops 
that would make products for people. And they only wanted to buy a machine from me. And these machines were fifty thousand and a half a million dollars if they currently had a contract. So I, but I, I got so they didn't want my machines. I learned about sales because ninety nine percent of the time they rejected me, which is something you guys need to get to used to when you're licensing. But the point being, they told me straight up that they would overquote stuff all the time when they realized it wasn't a real company or they didn't have great distribution and the orders weren't going to be there. So realize that as an inventor, when you approach them that way, um, that and you say, I'm an inventor, I want to get this made, they may be giving you a ridiculous quote so you go away because you're not that big company that's going to order 10,000 units or 50,000 units. So keep that in mind. Um, now, one way you can get a quote that it's less likely for that to happen is say, I have got a client and they want 50,000 units of this and you can't disclose who that client is and you need a quote, okay? So now a good percentage of the time when you're licensing, you don't need to run around a contract manufacturer. The word contract manufacturer is the term you want there and they're the ones that make stuff. You don't license to contract manufacturers. You license to companies that are in the retailers or the distribution channels you wanna be. But because contract manufacturers for the most part, most of them, they just make stuff. They don't market it or sell it or have distribution. So um, if you wanna reach out to a contract manufacturer, don't say you're the ring, you're not gonna say this, but don't say I'm a little inventor, I've got no money, and I've got no distribution. And can you give me a quote? Because they're irritated by that. So you can say you have a client and they need this and then maybe they'll give you a decent quote. So part of the answer, Diane, is do you believe you got a good quote or do you believe that um, the quote wasn't a good quote? Because a lot of what you want to do if you can is get some interest from a from a manufacturer and then let them go to China or US or wherever and get some quotes from their connections. Um, but sometimes you need to get quotes on your own. The other part of your question is, I don't, some of the companies ask for basic specs, but I what if I don't have them to give? So, and when you combine that with what if your quotes are too high, and I don't know if you actually got quotes, but let's say you did. If you don't have the basic specs and you're trying to get quotes, that's not gonna work, you know? Um, but you can license stuff all the time without the basic specs. Because again, I give this example all the time, you're, you may give them an example like, oh, there's this product and this product. This one's selling for $9.95, this is $12.95. And my part that's different is just this hinge. And they're like, oh yeah, well, then we know we can do it. So if you can get away with that, always get away with that on simple products. Um, you know, And we have some other questions about how we help and so we help with the licensing of it. We're not engineers. We're not scientists. So you need to figure those things out before you come to us. But a lot of times the thing is you don't need all that information. If your product might be complicated, but your change to it is simple, as long as you understand the change and you have a guess as to how it could be made, you can simply see if you get the interest with your marketing materials and then you suggest to them how you think it could be made. And if that's not good enough for them, great. Maybe you can get them to do it, which is, happens often with our students. And if you can't, they put it back on you. Great. Say, I'll look into that. What's important to you? What do you think the key price point is? And you can go out and get some quotes. But you don't have to do this all up front. The vast majority of our students do not 
I would say 95% of our students don't get quotes from contract manufacturers before they start approaching um, companies they can license to. Uh, you can you can get a pretty good guess of it. So let's see what else we got here. Brandon, I'm wondering before you start with Invent, right? Okay, how engineered does your product have to be? Or do we help with that? So we can help with the common sense stuff going, dude, you don't need to go out and spend 10 grand on this prototype and get it engineered. You know, and on that note, I'll talk about prototypes. People can make prototypes. Anybody can make a prototype on most anything, but it may be made completely different. So somebody could make the prototype. You spend God knows how much on the prototype. But then the company looks at it and goes, well, our machines can't make that. So there's a difference. This is the thing that I, is very important to understand. There's a difference between being able to make a prototype and able to make a production-ready prototype. But to think that you need this production-ready prototype in order to license is simply incorrect. A lot of people are shocked by that, but our students do those deals all day long without having a production-ready prototype. Again, you're looking to put this work off onto the company. Um, let's see. Aaron, hi, Andrew, for DRTV, what is the best answer when they ask who else have you shown this product to? So again, we talked about this last time, I think. DRTV is really weird. Um, they really don't like you showing it to other people. So we talked about this last time. If you have a list of potential licensees that are not DRTV infomercial companies, and then you have a list of DRTV companies because they're sensitive about it, and this is the only time I would tell you to do this, if you have a DRTV product, every other time just get it out to all the companies, okay? But if I would present to the DRTV companies, I would be honest with them. Tell them who you showed it to. And to be honest with you, if you did show it to somebody that's not a DRTV company, they're probably not gonna care. They're very competitive, these DRTV companies. If you say, oh, I showed it to this DRTV company, they may not like that, but I think you should be honest with them about it. Um, let's see, Kuwaito. Sorry if I don't pronounce your name right. I have multiple innovations on one product. Should I offer the easiest manufacturing modification only to get in the door, or should I show them everything I have? So it is multiple innovations on one product. You have to show them what you believe they will think is marketable. So you, well, you have to send a one-page sell sheet or a 30, 60-second video, and it has to be marketable. And if you show them eight variations, that's not going to work. You can't do that. So I would show them the one that makes the most sense. You can talk about the other ones when you get interest, but keep in mind they showed interest in that one you showed them. So it's very hard for inventors to do, but you need to pick one variation. Occasionally, you can work in a slight variation. It's a small little side bubble or something, optional you know, feature or something so that they know, oh, I don't have to have that feature. But if you throw multiple variations and everything about those multiple variations in, I'm going to try to pronounce it right, Quecho, um, I think that's right. I probably got it wrong. Um, then that is a recipe for disaster. You might as well not try it all. Don't even try it all. Do not do that. Again, we talked about this in some other live sessions. Don't send slide decks. Don't send 20-page PowerPoints. One-page sell sheet. 
or a 30 to 60 second video, and you're not going to accomplish all these variations in there. Now, if you have multiple variations, you might have multiple licensees. It might actually end up being multiple products. Like for one variation, you're contacting these 15 companies. For another variation, you're contacting these 25 companies. So it could be broken out by industry or different products or for different markets. So I've, I've seen that. That's pretty common. Um, Tommy, in order to make a sell sheet in a prototype, you have to show your invention. Okay. Do you have to make everyone always sign an NDA? How can I make an NDA that's valid? So, you know, any, so even though asking a company to sign your NDA when you filed a provisional patent or a full utility patent, you're going to feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall. This is not legal advice. So contact your attorney if you want legal advice. But we found from a practical standpoint, Asking every company to sign your NDA is is not going to work very well for you. Now, there's always exceptions. You know, like like I always say, it's not black and white; it's shades of gray. So, um, imagine you're a company and you receive 300 ideas from 300 inventors a month, and every inventor has their own NDA. You're going to need a full-time attorney just to review every. NDA in detail to make sure you didn't put in there that you own their company or something. It's not practical. Okay. Now, asking a graphic designer to sign an NDA or a prototyper to sign an NDA, they should do that every time without blinking. And if they do and you need to do a little convincing, if you need to do a lot of convincing there, move on to somebody else. Any vendor, any provider like graphic designer or prototyper should always sign your NDA. But now companies you license to, your protection is your provisional patent, it's your and it's your um, paper trail, right? So you're creating a paper trail on what you showed them and when. You know, you sent them your sell sheet on this date. They replied. Then you said this and you said that. It shows you're the first true inventor and what you showed them when in addition to having a provisional patent application or if you filed a patent. I was on with a firm um, earlier today, I think there was eight or 10 patent attorneys, and I was explaining our approach to licensing. And they seemed to really appreciate it because that's not the world that most patent attorneys live in. They get the patent and then you're done. And um, and I thought it was pretty cool that they wanted me to come on and share our take on licensing, and they seemed to appreciate it. So that, that was something fun I did this morning. Um, Brandon, do you recommend making video prototypes on SketchUp or SketchUp as a tool. So SketchUp is, uh, I think it used to be a free tool that Google gave away. I think they bought it from somebody else. I think it still is. I'm not sure 100%. But um, I don't recommend that the average inventor feel like they need to use computer-aided design tools like SolidWorks or SketchUp. If that's not your skill and you need to spend six months teaching yourself that and you still suck at it, that wasn't a very good use of your time. Um, if you're a highly technical person, you're an engineer for a living, you're like, oh, I always want to learn SolidWorks or SketchUp and you can crank something out really quick, great. But otherwise, you should hire somebody to do that. But realize that most of the time it's not necessary. A, a huge percentage of our time, our students can cannibalize something that they found at the store and they can Frankenstein it together for a prototype, or they can do a virtual prototype. And so you can do a virtual prototype in SketchUp or what have you, but it shouldn't look like a virtual prototype. It should look very nice. 
And I found that if people are learning to use SketchUp or these 3D design tools, it's not going to look good unless you have a really solid background in that already. And you know, you could spend six months or eight months instead of learning that. You could learn how to approach companies and pay somebody a few bucks to do a virtual prototype for you. So um, now SketchUp and and SolidWorks, you know, when we do virtual prototypes for students, it's strictly a visual. We're not engineers. We don't do it with all the dimensions and everything. And in most cases, nor should you. I mean, unless it's a highly technical product where you have serious concerns about its functionality. Again, if you can look at similar products and make assumptions on whether or not it could be done, just be happy with that. If you're 70% sure they can make it, you can't make it, but you know that they could, go for it, start pitching the benefits, use a sell sheet. And like I said last time, like I can't remember a student saying like, the company's like, oh, you don't have a working prototype? Oh, forget it. Like they will give you the time to do that if you can't convince them to help on that sort of thing. A lot of times just giving them enough information so they can go get a quote, you know, and just the sell sheet with some basic information is going to be enough. It varies by product. So there's not one answer to all these scenarios. Um, yeah, uh, getting enough questions doesn't isn't a problem. We were 20 minutes in, and have a an incredible number of questions. So I'll get to as many as I can. Um, uh, I guess this is a handle. Jala Kasa Four. Okay. Uh, does Inventright get customers' ideas to companies and charge a percentage of the royalties for services? Absolutely not. Um, We've our business model, we've never partnered with an inventor in 20 years and we never will because our business model is to you for you to keep 100 percent of your royalties. We guide and coach and mentor you, which is a lot more in depth than you think, guide you through making marketing materials. We give you software to file a PPA. We show you how to respond to companies, how to negotiate with companies. We're holding your hand at every step. And because licensing is very slow, you can send an email to us if you're a student. Oh, this is how to reply. This is what to say in the next call. Oh, your marketing materials, these are not good enough to send yet. We need to get this fixed up so the coach will work with you on the marketing materials. So if you're the type of inventor that thinks, I've got this great idea and I just need somebody to take it and run with it, it's not us. That's not us. You've got to do the work. Now, the work of licensing is 1,000th the work of starting a business, but it's still work. You still need to reach out to 25 companies. You need one to be interested. So we specialize in inventors that actually want to do the work. A lot of inventors will just file patents and make prototypes, and they'll never approach companies. And you're not really in the game if you do that. You have to approach companies. Now, if you approach invention promotion companies, I'm going to talk about them generically. I'm not going to talk about them specifically because I'm not going to mention any names, but they'll typically ask you for 10 or 12 grand. Oh yeah, we have the connections. We'll reach out to these companies on your behalf. And I have never, this is what I can state from my experience in 20 years, I have never talked to an inventor ever, ever that has had an invention promotion company license their product. There's a ton of them out there. They all say, I spent a bunch of money and it went nowhere. And a lot of these contracts, it says they just need to submit your idea to industry. So they could spend 15 minutes over a period of a year contacting companies, 15 minutes, and they would have met their contractual obligation to you. So what I love about our YouTube show and I love about the fact that you guys are here is you want answers to questions. 
my guess is most of you are willing to do that. Maybe some of you aren't. But what I love about our YouTube show is it scares away the inventor that says, I got a brilliant idea. It's a million dollar idea. and I don't want to do any work. We don't want to help you right now in that mindset because we're all about empowering you to do and say everything right in your project so you have the highest chance of success. And then also by working on real life projects, that's the only way you truly learn licensing. You could watch videos all day long to your blue in the face. You could read about it, but until you do it, you don't know it. And the average inventor is a hands-on person. So having a coach guiding you through it that is the only thing that we found it works. I would love it if we could just have a website with videos and membership site and, you know, people could watch those videos and, you know, they call me and say, Andrew, and I'd be on the wife with, I'd be on the beach with my wife and my seven-year-old daughter and say, Andrew, I've been licensed my third product. Just been watching your videos. You know, I wouldn't have to have 10 coaches and a negotiation coach and 25 people on staff. You know, but what we found is doing it, it doesn't have to be with us, but you have to do this. You have to go out on a limb. And I understand why a lot of you are uncomfortable with it. It's natural. But our YouTube show, if, you, if you're new and you haven't watched a lot of our YouTube shows, it breaks down a lot of these misperceptions and concerns that you have. And we have a lot of people that get encouraged and they will move forward on their own and others will get our help. But um we will never be doing it for you and taking a percentage. Now, some people, they, they want to give us a percentage. They think we'll work harder, but we won't. We'll work just as hard for you to guide and coach and mentor you without taking a percentage. Another reason why we don't do it is those same invention promotion companies, they charge you 10, 12 grand, and they use it as a ploy. They say, well, we want 25% of your invention. Their whole goal is to take that 10 or 12 grand from you. They could care less about getting 25% of your invention because they can't license their way out of a paper bag, nor are they making any effort to do it. So we don't want to be anything like those guys. So we don't take a percentage either. And then also another reason why we don't take a percentage. I don't want one of our students when they're in the final stages of a negotiation going, oh, you know, maybe I won't reach out to the negotiation coach, Paul, to help me close this because I don't want to give them that percentage. Like none of our students would ever hesitate for a second to get help from the negotiation coach um, because they know we're not taking a percentage. But if somebody was thinking we thought we did or that's what we were doing, they might hesitate and try to do it on their own and then muddle it up and then they kill the deal because they decided they didn't want to give us our percentage. So we don't take any percentage whatsoever. It's a really long answer to that question, but we get hit up with that, God, like all the time. Um, if the This is from uh, Mehdi. If the invention is cutting edge and disruptive, is it good to go through licensing or start a company like a startup? Um, I think, you know, even if you had no, this is where Stephen and I are the people that I've ever heard offer this advice. Even if you had no intention of licensing, you just want to start your own business, sell it yourself. I think licensing is one of the best things you can do because think about it. When you're selling a product, you've got competitors. When you're licensing it, all those competitors are your potential partners. So if you reach out to all of them and they're telling you what they like, what they don't like about it, you're getting free research R&D. They've been in that business, maybe some of them 10, 15, 20 years, some of them less, but they'll give you their opinion of what they think about it. If you ask for it, you always get it, but a percentage of the time you'll get it. And that's fantastic because then you could tweak some things and avoid making extremely costly mistakes you can't afford to make. So, um, but if it's really cutting edge, I still think reaching out to try to license it first, Mehdi, 
um, is the best thing to do. Um, but I also think that you have to dedicate yourself to a business model. Go, you know, you reach out to three companies. Oh, they weren't interested. Well, yeah, I'm just going to sell it myself. Well, maybe you could have 20 other companies, maybe 25 companies say no. But our students all the time, I tell them to reach out six months later, email all the same companies. We get students all the time that are licensing that way. People are shocked by that. They're like, well, but Andrew, they said no. Why would you reach back out? Well, because before they give you nonspecific answers, not a right, not a right match at this time or great idea, but not right now. I'm too busy or what have you. And now they'll give you the COVID thing. Some people, they'll just use it as a convenient thing. And it could just be another generic response. But then you reach out six months later, drop them a friendly email. You've got all their email addresses. And, um, and they are in a different mindset. Two weeks earlier, you hit them at the right time. It's about timing. And their boss said, we need new products two weeks earlier. And now they're looking at it. Where before, they gave it literally like 30 seconds. They replied, no, thank you. You know, And so it's timing. And so that's a great tip, guys. Even when you reach out to 25, 30 companies, and if, they, if now if five companies say, this won't work because of this, and you can't fix that, you're done with that project. Now, if you can fix it, great. Go back to them and all the other ones because you're like, they were probably thinking that too. So this is really practical stuff, but I would, I would venture to say almost no inventors do this, but we have our students doing it. That's why our students license stuff because they're persistent, you know? Um, Oh, okay. So Jen says, can you talk about licensing app ideas? I have a few app ideas and I would like to know the steps in licensing them to large companies. Is this an industry inventor friendly um, thing? So, so because we all use apps on our computer, we use applications on our phones for the most part, everybody and their grandmother has an idea for an app, which is great. I like that. But here's the problem. Um, you know, you have a housewife or a plumber that's an app and they're not a professional software developer. You know, the, the app guys are a little bit different. It's a little bit different. And they look at you and go, well, that's all, that's all great guy. Maybe let's say it's a plumber. That's all great guy, but it's going to take six guys in a room a year to program. And so they're, they're a little put off by people with ideas. And so now if a software developer, you're a professional software developer, and you can talk intelligently about the backend database and this and that, there is no difference between you licensing an app or a kitchen gadget for the average person if you're a software developer. And it's funny that you asked that question because I got asked that question with the patent attorneys I was presenting to this morning. And this one guy did exclusively software and he smiled and he goes, yeah, these people want to come to me and they want me to patent these apps, but they have no idea how it works. And there, it's with apps, there's the development of it and what you're patenting are integrally laced together, intimately laced together. And it's very hard to develop some of these apps. So if you have a simple app and you, you but you also you don't know as an inventor that doesn't have a software record, what is simple and what's not? Oh, well, you just do this, but maybe on the back end, it's really complicated. So I'll be, I'll be, I'll tell you guys what I do. When I talk to an inventor that has an app, I'll, I'll ask them if they have a software background, I'll say, great, license it just like anything else. If they don't, I'll say, what else you got? 
do you, do you come up with other ideas? Oh yeah, I got a kitchen gadget, I got a dog toy, I got a surgical device. Great, let's work on one of those. So my opinion, my biased opinion, based on experience is if you have an app and you're not a software developer, work on a physical product, you're gonna be better off. Now with that said, can you license an app? Absolutely, but you need a lot more. They like, you need to have like a, again, I told you not to have a slide deck. With the apps you do, you need to show them like, make it look like the whole app, like the graphics on it, what it would look like, the different screens. You have to put a lot more into pitching an app and then the software geeks will still look at you and go, eh, it's just an idea. So. For the most part, they don't value ideas. They value people coming to them with completed products. I've had plenty of people that have come to me with developed apps or partially developed apps is acceptable as well. But now that gets very expensive. So, and then what if nobody's interested? You spend eight grand developing this app to get it somewhat developed, which might be just probably somewhat at eight grand. And then nobody shows interest. Whereas you do a dog toy or a kitchen gadget and you, know, you just kind of do a virtual prototype and you spent less than 200 bucks. So that's my ramble on, on apps. Um, so I'm not saying don't do it, but that's my take on it. If you got other ideas, I'd probably work on one of them. Um, uh, Dylan said, what's recommended pathway for licensing in the cosmetic packaging industry? Do you sell the co-manufacturers of packaging or cosmetic manufacturers themselves? So I love these two questions because you brought up the only two really difficult industries one is is software and the other one is packaging what is packaging it's the box that the product goes in it could be a toothpaste tube it could be a cosmetic box it could be something like that so the problem with with packaging is they sell bazillions of units so when you're selling like not technically bazillions but you get the idea they sell bazillions of units and you have to have a lockdown understanding of the manufacturing of it. And then you need to get patents around the manufacturing of it. So it's a lot more in depth. And, you know, you can't just go, oh, well, you know, hey, it could be made. But literally with packaging, if you add, in, it depends on the product. If you add one cent or 10 cent or 10 cents or whatever it is, it might be way too much. Like if you're making Coca-Cola and this would go on every Coca-Cola bottle, if the packaging innovation added five cents, there's no way in hell they're ever going to do it. It's not feasible. Now, there's some types of packaging that can tolerate a higher price point. So with um, cosmetics, who uh, Dylan asked this. So with cosmetics, you know, cosmetics packaging is very important. You know, it might be able to tolerate a dollar, two dollars. I don't know, maybe more, you know. But um, so your question specifically uh, should I be licensing to the cosmetic companies themselves or the companies that are packaging the cosmetics, the co-manufacturers or packaging companies? And the answer is you can get interest from both, but more than likely you're going to license to the packagers that could then sell that same technology to multiple companies, package the products from multiple companies. But if you get a lot of interest from, let's say, L'Oreal, and they're huge, and they're interested, and then you put them together with a company doing the packaging, then you can put that deal together. So, but these aren't things, I'm sounding really negative now because I'm talking about it's so difficult, because it is with software and with packaging. But Dylan, it's very doable. and um, you know, your product, 
you know, you if you want to, you can reach out to me and talk to me about your product if you want to. Um, that would be fine. Uh, where can I take, this is from Myrna. How much time do we have left? 26. Okay, cool. Uh, Mir, Mirma. Mirma. Uh, where can I take my idea, no prototype, for a writing instrument, which would be stocked in office or school supplies? Well, that's pretty easy. You know, you're going to look for companies that are in Staples and Office Depot. And, you know, where do you sell pens? You know, a lot more places than that. Uh, Walgreens, Rite Aid, drugstores. My God, pens sell in so many places. So you need to look in all those places for companies selling similar items. It doesn't have to just be pens. It can be other items that are near the pens on the shelf. So, um, yeah. And Mirna, you know, if your product is pretty simple, uh, you can just do a virtual prototype on that and, and show the benefit of the product. And if you're fairly certain that they can do it, it doesn't mean you have to do it in order to show it to them. So many inventors are like, but I can't make it. It's like, well, could they make it? And if your answer is yes, a virtual prototype may be perfectly sufficient. That is, that is a very empowering thing to say, and it's real. I mean, we've made that a reality over the last 20 years with our students, and it works. So I'm not just saying this stuff, guys. It's been proven over 20 years. Um, the person is the original barback. Okay. Is there an invent right coach who I can send my sell sheet to? Sell sheet two, I would like to see if they can confirm I'm going in the right direction with it. So what I will tell you, the original barback, that's your name. Uh, that's your that's your handle, I know. Um, is that the vast majority, I would say 90 to 95% of our new students, if they've, most of them, a lot of them haven't made a marketing piece or a sell sheet. Um, if they have, the sell sheet is not good enough. Now, it might be just okay. You don't really want to just, just okay. You want your sell sheet to be, I get it in six to 10 seconds. That's what you want it to be. Like, I'm barely making any effort. I'm distracted. I'm glancing at it as a marketing manager, and I get it. That's what it needs to be. So, um, no, we don't, we don't do that because, you know, we do that for our students, of course, you know, but just reviewing random inventors sell sheets, we don't typically do that, um, you know, because there's so much involved, like the first call when you're on with the coach, it's a whole hour and you get deep into it and there's research you need to do. What about here? What about there? We realize the inventor a lot of time hasn't done enough research. Okay, get that, bring it back. Let's take a look at it. Let's figure out. So it's a very in-depth process. Um, on the surface, could you look at a sell sheet and go, do I get it in six to 10 seconds? Yes, that could be said. But then the next question is, well, how do I fix it? And that's a much more in-depth process. And But sometimes we will get new students where they're okay. Well, they're pretty good, but there's always something that needs to be tweaked, always. And so, a lot of times it's just, it's like, don't even bother sending that. Um, and it's funny, we'll have people that are professional marketers, but because it's their product, they're just not doing it quite right. And that's like what we do all day long. Um, Mike says, how do I license a product that can only be 3D printed? And who would you contact for a licensing deal? Well, Mike, my question is, is it a consumer product or an industrial product that could be sold as a product that a manufacturer could make? Um, if you can only be made, the only way you can make it is to 3D print it, that, that's a pretty limited market. 
you know, and let's address that. When you're licensing, and I love saying this, when you're licensing, you can have delusions of grandeur and you're not delusional. You can license to a company that's going to sell half a million units, 2 million units, 50,000 units, 20,000 units. It depends. Is it a 99 cent product or $600 product? It varies by product. And you're not delusional because these are big companies. They have unlimited money. They have lines of credit with banks. So you're using their money and their workforce and they have 50 or 100 products or whatever it is. And then they have all this distribution. So it's not unrealistic to think big when you're licensing and you just got to license it to that big company. But if you license something that's super niche, like, and I don't know if this is the case, Mike, for you, but if it's only a product that could be only 3D printed, then you're just going to get these geeks that go on to these 3D printing sites and you happen to own a 3D printer and then you can 3D print the product. And a lot of that stuff's given away for free, to be quite honest. So my guess is, Mike, there's a way to make that a consumer product. And I would probably go that direction because the royalties you're going to earn on something that they can only sell to people that own 3D printers and can print this, that's very limited. It could be a really small little license, which is not bad. That might be what it is. But with licensing, it's not harder to license a little gadget that's going to only sell 1,000 units a year. There's really no difference with that and one that's going to sell half a million. You know, or for some products, you know, 50,000, 20,000 is good. And then you're getting royalties for every year after that. So, you know, and if you just want to get some experience, it's okay to license a little niche product to a small company. But after a while, you're going to be like, damn, okay, on this next product, I can focus on bigger stuff because it's really the same amount of effort. Um, let's see what's next. How much time? We got 20 minutes. Good. That's great. Um how do I protect my idea before approaching a retailer from another one from Myrna? You don't approach a retailer, Myrna. You approach the manufacturer that sells at the retailer, okay? And you file a provisional patent application. Um, with our boot camp, we include a program called Smart IP that helps you file a provisional patent. The patent office fee for that is only $70, but we also sell that as a separate product on our site. The the, the solution is $99 on InventRight. And... Um, then the patent office fee of $70. So I always recommend to inventors, always file a provisional patent before you start showing it to companies. Um, and then, yeah, that's always, always, always do that. Um, Jay Bab says, what is the royalty expectation if your invention is a small part of an existing device? For instance, a $10 part on a $40,000 machine. That's a very good point. You know, they're already selling however many of these $40,000 machines and you're adding a little something to it. So you're not going to get a 5% royalty on $40,000. You know, so you have to figure out what's practical. It's whatever you can get. What I would do is just get as much interest as you can and you have to assess. It's a little bit more difficult when you do that, um, Jay you have to assess how much value is this adding to that? Can they actually sell a machine over their competitor with a $40,000 machine, you know, because of this feature? So, you know, I would say on that case, which I don't normally say that, it might be a flat amount per unit. But again, that might be really niche, Jay. Like, Companies that sell $40,000 machines, they're not selling 200,000 of those. So what I would do, this is what I would do. This is what we would do if you were in a negotiation with us. We would help you 
analyze, you'd interview the company about how many units, how many of these machines do they sell? They need to give you those numbers and then you'd figure out the number. You should never give them a number in that scenario without figuring out. So they might say, oh, 100 or 1,000 or 20,000 of these $40,000 machines. And then you figure out what you'd be okay with. But that sounds like it wouldn't be a big licensing deal, but it's okay to do small licensing deals. It's okay. It is what it is. Um, but it would probably be less money on your part but it could be a substantial royalty per unit because they're only selling 200 of these machines, you know, uh, a year. Let's see, select designs. Okay, I got it. Sorry about that. Uh, what can I do about submitting an idea without a PPA to a company that requires a PPA? Can I get a PPA later in the if, if the company decides to move forward with the design? You know, you know, you got a company name, select designs, you know, you need to spend the $70 on the PPA. Don't be so damn cheap. You know, um, now if you're, if you're really, really, really strapped, you could go out on a limb there, but it's a risk. Now, privately showing it to the company is not considered public disclosure. So if you haven't publicly disclosed it, you privately email it. You could later file a PPA, but um, I'm telling you not to, but you could take that risk. But, you know, my question is, if you're so tapped out that you can't afford 70 bucks, you need to focus on bringing more money in first and then working on your inventions because $70 is not a lot of money. Um, but you could do it. You could go on a limb if you wanted to do it. But legally, I'm telling you, don't do it. Not legally because I'm not a legal advisor. Consult an attorney. I'm telling you not to do it. Um, what? Uh, let's see. Factum, what route should I take if I have a cybersecurity idea? It's a high-tech idea for extra security. Should I reach out to a cybersecurity company or a company who sells cybersecurity products? Yeah, well, again, you always want to create a sell sheet or a video that does the selling for you. The last thing they want to do is listen to an inventor ramble or try to sell them. So you're going to need to make some sort of marketing materials, Factum, that you're going to present to these companies. So it'd be the companies that would make these security products. You know, that's what it would be. It's pretty clear. Um, Courtney says, if you are doing the market research for your product idea and find a very similar product is being made by hand via people on sites like Etsy. Oh, I like this site question. Is that product idea still worth moving forward with? Okay, so I think, you know, anything that's been sold out there is public disclosure. So if somebody's selling something kind of similar on Etsy, um, you know, you're not going to be able to get a patent on that. More than likely, they didn't file a patent on it, but you could get a patent on your improvement. So it's this, but it's got a hinge here that has this benefit. So you can get, so Courtney, if you have a slight improvement to that thing on Etsy, I would go forward and sell it because like we're always saying, like, Steve and I have been a broken record about this for 20 years. You're not selling your patent and you're not selling your prototype. You're selling the benefit of your idea. Our students do deals all the time where the company doesn't want to file a patent. So the belief that you can't license a product if they don't want to file a patent is not true. So if you have a variation on that product that's selling on Etsy, I would go ahead and pitch it to companies that could license it. And they may or may not want you to file a patent, but license the benefits. So the more important question is, does it have clear benefits that you think the companies you're going to approach are going to want and that their customers are going to want, 
really ultimately. So I, I love that question. But have a change on it and you can get a patent on that slight change. It could be an, this is a little tip. It could be an insignificant change and you can legally say patent pending for 70 bucks. You could get a provisional patent on an insignificant change to that other thing. Doesn't even mean anything. And you can legally say patent pending. You can legal, and that's another tip I'll give you guys. When you file a provisional for 70 bucks, you can legally say patent pending. You don't have to say provisional patent pending, okay? So it's a great tool and they can't see it. It's fantastic. Um, we got 13 minutes left. When is the time to get a patent attorney and what might be the price of obtaining one? So, you know, different people out there, Duran will tell you different things, but our approach in InventRight saves our students a tremendous amount of money. And even more importantly, it enables them to license products the rest of their life. If you go out and spend 10 grand or eight grand or 15 grand on a patent, every time you come up with an idea, not knowing if there's any interest, that is very risky. Your husband or wife or friends and family, after you do that once or twice, they're like, what are you doing? You know, because you're blowing this money. But because you're so excited, and you're like, oh, but it's it works. It works. I know it works. I know it's going to get. I know it. I know it's going to work. I know it's good. And people get a false sense of moving forward by spending money on patents. They feel like they did something. You didn't do anything. You just spent a bunch of money with an attorney. And that's all you did. And it's completely and utterly not necessary. Now, we have a lot of students that come on board with us having filed patents. And so to that, I say, great. That has value when you're trying to license it. But what if you don't license it? What if you don't? All that money's down the drain. So, and there's no reason to do that in the future. You know, if you've already done it, great. It's an asset. It's an asset to have a patent. There's nothing wrong with that. But file a provisional patent for $70. When you, the day you file it, start calling companies the next day or the next week. You got a whole year. You'll never need a year to see if there's interest from companies. So see if the interest is there. And then if there's interest, get them to pay for the patent. They give you the money as an advance on royalties and you give it to your attorney and your attorney will reference the provisional patent application. So always, always file a provisional patent. Um, so my opinion, when the time to get an attorney is, is, is when you have a deal on the table. File a provisional patent for 70 bucks, get a deal on the table and then get them to pay for it. Now, sometimes they don't want to. Now, so in that case, get some upfront money. Don't tell them what you're using it for. It doesn't matter. Give that to your patent attorney to file the patent, okay? And then, and then uh, collect the royalties and move on to the next product. Uh, Matt says, what is the best way to pitch cities for a government product? So look at it. If it has to do with the roads, for example, we've had some students work on those types of products. And it's uh, it's uh, lighted markers or um, reflective markers for the road. Approach the companies that make reflective markers for the road. So you're not going to approach a city. Now, you can do some pull-through marketing. You can talk to some cities and they're like, oh, I love this. Yeah, if you sold this to us, we would buy that. And then you can talk to the companies making the reflective markers and go, hey, I've got all these different um, purchasing managers for cities or the streets or the Department of Transportation that wants it. So you, you're going to approach the companies that would be making the type of company that would be making the product. I don't know of any cities or government municipalities that make their own products. There's usually a contractor that's making those types of products. So that's my answer to your question. Sometimes people think that we're just about um, 
consumer products. You can license, we've had a lot of students license industrial products as well. Industrial products, medical products, all those are perfectly licensable as well. What confuses people though is the distribution channels. So if you have a product that's road markers for that are glued to the road, they're reflective, you're not gonna go down to Walmart and get that. So you can't go on a Walmart and go, oh, you know, oh, there's these companies selling these road markers. You're gonna go to the distributors or you're gonna find the manufacturers that are selling those products to the municipalities. So, so with the industrial products, people get a little bit more confused and our coaches will guide our students as to how to figure out who those potential licensees are. Um, Joshua, I have a product with multiple uses. Can the licensing be split between multiple companies as per use? They're widely separated uses. Great, so if they're widely separated, uh, uh, Joshua, if they're not stepping on each other's toes, you're good. So do it, figure out which version you want to work on first, approach that company, do the licensing deal. In the contract, it will stipulate you, they have the rights in these areas, distribution channels or the type of product or what have you. And you're going to reserve the right for the other version for another market and they won't care. And sometimes if they're paying for the patent, the patent's covering both. And now you're going to the other company with an issued patent. Not that that's necessary, because like I said, our students license all the time with prov provisional patents. Um, but yeah, that's perfectly acceptable. What I would do is I would figure out your two markets and I figure out which one's the easiest. Like, oh, this one has 25 companies and the benefits are a little bit greater for them. And then there's other market over here. I got 15 companies and it's not quite as wow um, so work on the one that you think is going to be easier to close first and then work on the other one. Of course, that can vary, but that's usually a good rule of thumb. Um, yeah, so Fabrizio uh, says, have you ever licensed a product within the U.S. market from an inventor who has created it but doesn't live in the U.S., so he would need that support and partnership. Uh, we've had students in 65 countries. Um, so we've had students all around the world license products. They do not care where you live. You don't need to have boots on the ground or live in the US. This is all, this is why during this time of the virus, the way our students are approaching things is the same as they've always approached it. Doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter if you're in a tiny little town in the Midwest in the US, or you're in Italy or Australia or Asia or Canada. They just want your idea. And you're not gonna be meeting with these companies in person for the most part. I have students that will do deals and then they'll finally like two, three later, they'll go to two, three years later, they'll go to a trade show and they meet Bob and Sally and all those people. And they're like, oh, hey, hey, yeah, we love your product. And it's like they're in the booth, but it's not required to do a licensing deal. So don't ever feel like you're at any disadvantage whatsoever with being outside the U.S. Not at all. None. None. Um, uh, Kevin. Uh, Kevin says, I'm sending a sell sheet. When should I do the pitch deck? Well, you don't need a pitch deck most of the time. You just need a sell sheet, Kevin. Um, unless, like we talked about, you have a software product. Then you need to... Um, you know, lots of pictures, you know, showing each screen, showing that you've developed it and such. But I don't think you normally need a pitch deck. I think you just need a sell sheet. Get their interest, get on the phone and talk with them. Um, sometimes products are more complicated. So if you do have 
not a pitch deck, but you do have some slides that are going into more detail that they want, then they, the, that additional information can be beneficial. So generally I would say after you've done your first phone call with them or even many emails, you might share some sort of multiple slide presentation that shows some of the details, but talk to them first, get a feeling for what they like, what they're concerned about the product, all that sort of thing. And you might change whatever additional info you send them. Um, but no, most of our students don't do pitch decks. They just do the sell sheet. Um, uh, Perechus, per uh, Perechus, per I'm trying to get it. Um, if, one if one is successful in licensing a product and is later copied, what is the average income loss because of the copycats? I think you're looking at it the wrong way, man. I think that, or I don't know if you're a guy, but I think you're looking at the wrong way, Perekis. Um, if you license it to a really big company and the best form of protection is not a patent, it's first to market. So if the company you license to is big and they get it out there in a big way, really fast, which you guys can never do on your own trying to sell it yourself, that is the best form of protection. Um, we actually had one company tell one of our students, no, we don't want to do patents. We'll just crush the competition with our distribution. So if you license it to a big company and they're selling 80% of the product and then they're getting some knockoffs and they'll like maybe send cease and desist. They're not going to go around suing everybody most for the most part. But if they might send cease and desist and the, then they disappear, those ones knocking them off. But let's say there was a fair amount of knockoffs. 20% of the sales of this product were knockoffs. Congratulations, you're successful. This feeling that you have to prevent, even big companies can't prevent knockoffs completely in a lot of cases. What makes you think you can? So by teaming up with this company and them having the better product, being first to market, selling the most because they're bigger and you got a few knockoffs, you're successful. You should be happy about that. So you're asking what's the average income lost? I don't think there's anything lost. I think it's gain. You know, um, now and some companies will aggressively hit those knockoffs and other companies won't. And you'll ask them what they can do and you should be happy at whatever they shouldn't say. You should be happy. You should be realistic about it. And if you get weird on them, they might not want to license another product from you because now you're being the wacky inventor that thinks you can bop everybody over the head with a lawsuit. And that's just not the way it really works. Uh, let's see. We got three minutes left. Um, Stefan, how much difference does a product need to have for it to be different from another and potentially attain a patent? There's no way I could possibly answer that. Um, it depends on what's patented. You have to look at patents and look at claims and look at what's protected um, and then do a variation on it. So, But what I'll say is sometimes when you get a patent on something, you know, you get around the other patents and you're doing it a certain way. And other times you're patenting on top of those. Like, And you gotta be careful about that. If whatever you're gonna protect requires this other patented product, you should think hard and long about, if I need this other company's permission, what if they don't give it to me? Now, it's rare that that's the case. Most of the ideas our students come up with, you can work on and license those products, and you don't need permission from some other company. That You just invented a certain way where you're not violating those other companies' patents. So, but I can't ever say, oh, it needs to be 10% different or 20% different. It doesn't work like that. 
it works like, okay, this is their product. They did it this way and I'm gonna do it this way. And you'll have to actually look at their claims and they're, oh, they're protecting this hook. Oh, they're protecting this hinge. And and just because it's a similar product doesn't even mean they're protecting every feature of it. And you're like, oh man, they're only protecting those three things. My product isn't even using those things. It's not an issue. And then you go, well, I'll just get right around it. Now, then some of you are thinking like, well, then people get around me. Well, that's why you need to think about all the variations and throw them into your provisional patent. And, um, but that's a thing that, you know, it, it does need to be different if their product's patented. Now, if those other products aren't patented, which most products aren't, it's not an issue at all. Typically, if you see eight companies doing something that is um, out there, there's no patent on it. You're seeing eight different companies doing it, you know, and it's just this, exactly the same. And then you got a variation. Well, you can improve the variation. You can protect yours, but those eight companies can't protect theirs because somebody did it. It was out there for a while. Nobody protected and somebody else did it. And somebody else did it. And nobody got patents on it. And that is a large percentage of products aren't patented at all. So don't think that, oh, there's products like it and they're not making a change. Well, those other products quite often don't have a patent, don't have any protection. So just look into that. Uh, wow, you guys, I can never answer. I, I'm gonna, I, we're gonna, we're gonna do this next week again. I can't promise we're gonna do this forever, but we want to support the inventor community. Um, Stephen and I have always been very big on supporting the inventor community with lots of great free information on our YouTube show. We we don't hold back, and I'm really enjoying these Q and A's. Um, I don't know if you guys can tell that, but I am. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I want to do it again next week. So I want to invite all of you. How much? How many people do we? Oh, I got a fair amount. A lot of people are watching the replays too. Um, I want to, and don't forget to subscribe down below to our our channel too. Um, we don't. I don't say that on every video we do, but please subscribe. Um, even if you're not paying attention, it helps us. It just looks wow. There's so many people subscribe. Our product, our, our advice is kind of in a niche. So for our niche, that's what, we have a lot of subscribers. And I like to think it's because we offer great info. So I want to invite you guys back. I don't think we have a date next for next week, but I want to do it again next week. Um, Madeline will, will go ahead and get that set up. So, and if you're not sure when it's happening, just go back to YouTube, um, type in InventRight TV, go to the main YouTube page when you type in InventRight TV, just by clicking on our logo in any YouTube video, it'll take you to our main page and you'll see if there's another live stream coming up. And if you subscribe, you'll get notified through YouTube. You may not be paying attention to that or what have you. So you can come back. Um, yeah, okay. Oh, Madeline said same time next week, go for it. So, uh, you know, this week we're doing Wednesday. Yeah, what the hell? We'll do it on Wednesday. I was thinking maybe we do it on Monday or Tuesday, Madeline, but let's let's go ahead. Same time next week, just so you guys know, just so everybody's listening. Same time next week, five Pacific, six Mountain, seven Central, uh, eight Eastern. I had to think on that. <laughs> so, um, you guys, I, I just love I love doing this. Um, Anybody can license their products. I don't care if you're an experienced business person, if you're a very inexperienced business person, if you're a highly technical person, or if you're not technical at all, anybody can invent. You have to modify what inventions you do accordingly. Um, and, and anybody can do this. And if you watch our YouTube videos, I hope you feel that way. 
Um, people tell us all the time they feel like they're very empowering. And if you want more help, you can check out eventright.com and see how else we help there. Um, but I will be back next Wednesday at 5 Pacific. And um, so come on back and we'll catch up with you next time. Take care, everybody. Bye.